Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I hope you enjoy this study. Okay, well, we are back with another Bible study episode, podcast episode. Luke Dockery is joining us today. Luke, thank you for being with us, brother. I'm glad to have the opportunity to be here. Thanks for the invite. Travis is also with us, but um, we can't figure out how to make his microphone not echo. So he's going to be our our silent uh, silent observer, maybe in this episode. He's going to uh, motion to us if we say something that uh, needs more clarification. Uh, but Luke, I am I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today, and I'm excited to talk about scripture. But I just I'm I'm excited too to just let people know about the work that you're doing if they're not already familiar with it, because I've been a big fan of your blog and your work. Um, so thank you for all that you do for the kingdom, brother. Thanks for saying that, Wes. Uh, we were talking, this is our first time to actually kind of meet, uh, but I guess we've been uh, communicating via social media and things for a few years now, and I appreciate your work as well. So it's uh, great to share this conversation with you. With all the negatives of social media, and there certainly are a lot, a lot of negatives that go along with social media, there's always been, for me, a lot of positives too. And one of those has been getting to know other evangelists and ministers and preachers. And uh, I just, I feel like I know a lot of you guys that I've never actually had a real face-to-face conversation with or met in person, but I feel like I know you because uh, we get to talk about scripture. And, and I've learned so much from so many people via social media. Um, I, I've really had as many positive experiences with social media as I have negative experiences, I think. Yeah. But we, this is not this. That's awesome. Uh, this is not about social media. We're going to uh, talk about a question that has, we've, we've had several questions that have been um, sent in and submitted, and I'm excited about talking about those over the next few weeks. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about in this episode is from John Shipley, who uh, submitted a, a question a few weeks ago that we tackled. I don't remember which question that was. Um, I was going to let uh, Travis read this question for us, but uh, he's he's being our silent partner today, so um, he can't read it for us. So I'll read it for us. Um, and it is about the shrewd manager from Luke chapter 16. And he said, um, John says, hey, brother. Already blessed that you used one of my questions already and truly appreciate it. So after following the Bible Project guys do a tour through the parables, he says, I was enlightened by their approach to the parables. And I'm just going to stop there for a second and say, I love the Bible Bible Project podcast. And if you haven't already listened to the Bible Project podcast, it's definitely one I, I highly recommend. And their series on the parables was very good. And we've also done quite a few. We did kind of a series on kingdom parables not too long ago. But yeah, I highly recommend the Bible Project Parables uh, series. And he says, but one still hangs with me and their explanation didn't help. You already know where I'm going, Luke 16 and the shrewd manager. It almost appears that Jesus is praising him for embezzling money from his master. How does this declare the coming kingdom or reveal Yeshua as Messiah? He says, I really appreciate the ministry and he asks uh, the Lord's blessings on it. So thank you, John, for that question. It's a fantastic one. And I know that a lot of us really struggle with this parable about uh, the shrewd manager. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to hearing Luke's thoughts on this and just talking through this in general. Maybe, Luke, before we jump into this specific 
parable, maybe it would be good to just kind of discuss Luke in general, um, and then maybe talk about parables in general. So before we get to the the Luke 16 and the shrewd manager, you have any thoughts on the book of Luke in general and how that might help us to contextualize this parable? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really good question. Um, and there's a lot to say about Luke, but one thing that Luke seems to give special emphasis on is uh, how God's kingdom intersects with the way that we use money um, and uh, an emphasis on those who are perhaps um, less advantaged. Uh, and so, for example, um, in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, we've got the Beatitudes. And in Luke, we have kind of the, the Sermon on the Plain. And there's a lot of similarity between the Beatitudes there, but they, they seem to be, in Luke, more focused on not blessed are the poor in spirit, but blessed are the poor. Um, and I wouldn't make too much of the distinction between those, but it does seem that Luke is very interested on the way that uh, the kingdom of God impacts the way that we view uh, finances and, and money. And certainly we see that in this parable, right? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I, that's exactly my thoughts on on how this this parable needs to be interpreted. In fact, I, I think so often we miss a lot of things in Luke because we we miss that bigger point. Uh, one of my soapboxes, most people know, is reading through whole books of the Bible in one sitting. And that's when I did that with Luke, that really was what I came away with was there is this huge emphasis on the poor and the marginalized and, and how Luke calls special attention to that. I love the way that you put that about intersecting with the kingdom. Um, and then even when we get in the same chapter to the rich man and Lazarus, I feel like so much of the time we talk about the rich man and Lazarus, we we focus on the afterlife and and what the afterlife is like and and how the Hadean realm is separated. And it's like, wow, we're really missing the point of what Jesus is talking about because it's not really about, hey, let me give you a picture of the afterlife. It's let me tell you how you should live your life right now. Let, let me right. tell you how you should you should live. And it's it should be more like Lazarus than it is like the rich man because uh, Lazarus is not uh, or Lazarus ends up in a much better place than the rich man does. And so we, we almost don't even stop to ask, well, what was the rich man doing wrong? What Why did he end up in torment? And we don't even really ask that question, but the story itself implies why he ended up in torment. And it's because he has this poor man lying at his gate who would love just the crumbs from his table and he pays him no mind. He allows this person to to suffer in poverty at his at his own gate while he's living lavishly and not sharing with people who are in need. And so that this is the context of of the parable about yes. uh, the shrewd manager that so often we overlook because it's the larger context of this entire gospel account. Um, and even just following the parable of the um, the shrewd manager, um, it, it Luke takes note that the Pharisees were lovers of money, and so you have all of this all of this material, all of this emphasis okay. on wealth and riches and money and treasure versus poverty and the people that that need care and help and how kingdom people should be helping those that are in need. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Um, this is traditionally a very uh, challenging parable for people to interpret. 
Um, and uh, to prepare for this conversation, I read through a bunch of uh, commentaries, which just reinforces that it's very difficult for people to interpret this because there's a lot of disagreements and uh, people acknowledge, hey, this is, is really challenging, which by the way, I think that's okay for us to say, like portions of scripture are hard to understand. Uh, sometimes we have this kind of naive idea that we ought to be able to just read it at face value and immediately know what's going on. Uh, which kind of makes me laugh because not only is that not true to experience, but if you read through the Gospels, it's kind of this extended exercise in people not understanding what Jesus is talking about, right? Uh, and, and so, I mean, clearly occasionally they do because he'll say stuff and he'll make people really angry. But but so frequently, whether it's uh, Jesus's audience or his disciples, they just don't know what he's saying. So I think it's okay for us to acknowledge, hey, you know, s- some of these things are going to be challenging for us to get. Um, having said that, though, like you said, context really helps us, I think, to interpret what's going on in this parable. And that's true um, from the, the standpoint of uh, the, the context of Luke um, as a whole. As you mentioned, it's also true, I think, you know, what's going on immediately around it, uh, the, the summary statements of Jesus at the end. Uh, you mentioned the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Right before this is the, the, the parable of the, the lost sons, or more prominently, the the parable of the prodigal son um, who wastes what he has. Same word used, uh, Luke 15, verse 13, as the word that's used to describe the the, uh, the shrewd manager who wastes his master's possession. So I think there's a, a link there as well. Um, and then also we've got things like Jesus saying, you cannot serve God and money at, at the end of this uh, parable. Well, that's also in Matthew. And so I realize those are, are different contexts, but, but, but that's a link between these two texts. And so we can also understand from things that Jesus says in Matthew uh, to help us illuminate what he's saying here in Luke and vice versa. So I think context is really important to helping us uh, interpret this well. Yeah, that's so many great points that you made. And, and even to that idea about, to speak to that idea of, of scripture being difficult to understand. And I love that you pointed that out on multiple levels, because just scripture in general, we're dealing with an ancient text written in a language that, that most of us don't speak, that if it wasn't for the help of translators, we wouldn't know what to, to do with it at all. So the assumption that we often have that we can just pick it up and the, the meaning will be clear, that's that's problematic with any with any passage of scripture. But I think especially as we approach the parables, um, I really like when when uh, scholars and teachers will explain parables in in the sense of something like a riddle. Um, because I think that one of the intentions of the parables is to both uh, confound or to conceal uh, what's what's true at the same time as revealing what is true. And so for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, they the, the truth of the kingdom is revealed to them. And those that have a hard heart, the truth of the, of the kingdom is hidden from them. And I think that's one of the intentions about the parables. I think that sometimes we give Jesus a compliment that he wasn't looking for when we say about his parables, oh, well, Jesus is this master storyteller. And when preachers tell stories and illustrate truths with with stories, then we're being like Jesus. And it's like, well, yes and no. Jesus wasn't just telling stories to illustrate truth. He was also telling 
telling these stories to confound the religious teachers of the time and to uh, surprise people and to hide the truth from those who didn't have ears to hear. So I think that's particularly true about parables in general, that they are going to be a little bit harder to understand, and we're going to have to meditate on them a little bit more and really dig in to really understand them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So I guess with without any further ado, we should jump into the text itself. Um, and so I, I don't really know exactly how to break it up and, and tackle it all, but I'm, I'm just going to start it. And and Luke, if you have something you want to say as I'm going, feel free to interrupt me, and I may interrupt myself as I often do when when I'm reading. Uh, but we'll just kind of walk through this parable. Uh, it starts if you're reading along with us. It's in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse one. It says he also said to the disciples, "There was a rich man." Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was thinking I was reading in the wrong place. There was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do. So when I when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Can now, we obviously, we can go on verses 10 okay. through 13. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah, let's just let's sit there. So this is this is good because you've read enough to to have uncovered the troubling part of this because we've got this right. uh, this manager, this steward who seems to be engaging in some dishonest practices. And so, and, and Jesus commends, or, or the, the, the master in the parable commends uh, this, this servant and Jesus seems to as well. So the, the, the alarm thing, the alarming uh, thing here is, is Jesus commending this person for being dishonest. And so it's, it's fun because people have, that's uncomfortable. So people have tried to explain this away. So like I've, I've seen people who have argued, well, you know, maybe the steward wasn't really being dishonest. Uh, you know, maybe um, in offering discounted debts, he was actually being honest and reflecting the actual amount of the debt. And before he had been overbilling people. So like if you think in the, in the context of like a tax collector who worked for the Roman Empire, who had to um, collect a certain amount of income but was free to collect extra and ex basically extort people. Um, so maybe this is what the manager had been doing previously, and now he's like, oh, I'm going to get fired. I'm just going to charge the actual amount, and this will ingratiate myself with people. Or you've had other people who have said, like, well, maybe these are bad debts that he's trying to collect, like delinquent accounts that are likely not going to get paid at all. And so by, by discounting them, uh, he's actually doing something good for his master because he's getting some of the money back instead of none of the money back. Um, or maybe, I, I've heard it argued, in his role as a steward, this guy has the legal authority to discount the debts as he did. So he's not really cheating anyone. Um, this is under his purview 
in his role and he has the right to make these decisions. Um, you know, I guess these things are theoretically possible, uh, but, but I think they're problematic. Um, not only does Jesus call the steward unrighteous or dishonest, depending on how you want to interpret that word in chapter 16 and verse 8, um, but also, like, this is Jesus's story, and I, I don't think we get to make up backstories for the characters in someone else's story. Uh, and, and the fact that we're trying to, I say we, the fact that commentators do this in the first place, um, the reason they insert these elements is because they're they're just uncomfortable with the basic implications of what seems to be going on. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's really that's a really good point. And, and I think we do that with a lot of parables. I've heard even like the Good Samaritan, I've heard us make up. I, I love the way you put that make up backstories for these fictional characters. It's a parable. And so Jesus is is giving us the details that we need. They don't really have a backstory. There is no backstory because that that this is a this is a fictional character. And and all of the backstory that we need to understand the parable is supplied in the story itself. Uh, otherwise, we couldn't we couldn't really know that. So I think that's a really good point. I think it is really interesting, and and I don't I I don't know enough about it to 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 maybe make a whole lot of sense about it. But I, I think it's interesting the the difference between the way like the English standard that I was reading from translates dishonest uh, both in verse eight and in verse ten, which we haven't gotten to yet. Um, and the way that that the word unrighteous, uh, when it's talking about the unrighteous wealth, is translated. So it is interesting that uh, it because, and I say it's interesting because they, they come from the same Greek word, and it's the same Greek word being used as unrighteous and dishonest. And there may be, I, I think there may be something to that, and we might get into that a little bit later, because I think dishonest implies something very specific, whereas unrighteous is is something much broader. Um, when we're talking about this unrighteous wealth, or even someone who is, verse 10, someone who is unrighteous in a little or unrighteous in much, um, unrighteousness, uh, again, dishonesty is, is not telling the truth, but unrighteousness, not being a righteous person or, or the wealth itself not being righteous, um, is something much broader, and I think that I think that there's an interesting interesting point here about what what does righteousness look like? Not just what's honest or what's dishonest, but what is what is righteous? What is the good thing to do? What is the right thing to do? And so, whether or not this um, this this dishonest manager, so there, there's a good question, right? Is 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 his unrighteousness? in what he had done previously, or is his unrighteousness in what he's now doing? Um, but, and so, so there's that, there's those questions for me around dishonesty and like, is he just being a cheat? Is he being dishonest? Uh, but then also the word shrewdness, because shrewdness in English, that, that implies something rather negative. Um, but, but, the word itself could be something kind of positive. Uh, we might even translate it as as prudent. And so this dishonest manager, unrighteous manager is being prudent or he's he's thinking ahead. So what are your thoughts on, on I guess, either of those, Luke, um, that idea of unrighteousness, but also 
shrewdness or prudence. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, and it certainly does affect kind of the way that we interpret. Um, I, I guess the unrighteous or um, dishonest, it's clearly a negative characteristic, right? Um, right. Whereas your point about shrewdness versus prudence, we tend to think of shrewd kind of negatively, but but certainly it could be a, a positive thing. And, and that's how a lot of people will, will interpret this. They'll say, well, Jesus is not commending this steward or this manager for being dishonest or unrighteous. He's commending him for his shrewdness. And that's actually what verse 8 says, as you read, um, that the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. I mean, so so it's not like, he doesn't command him or commend him for his dishonesty or his unrighteousness before his shrewdness, um, which in and of itself was revealed in an unrighteous act. Um, and so, so that'll right. be another way that people uh, try to um, try to kind of explain that. Um, in that, this this man was wise in that he looked toward the future. He did not like his prospects, and so he used his present resources to uh, in, in improve his opportunities in the future. And so maybe the, the, trans, or the interpretation goes something like, well, um, you know, Jesus isn't saying that it's good to be dishonest here, but that it is good to wisely make plans about the future and that, that worldly people um, sometimes do a better job in their pursuit of things like wealth than citizens of God's kingdom do in their pursuit of the kingdom. Um, so we should be like the people of the world in their shrewdness, in their in their thinking about the future. We should, you know, spend money in a way that helps us to make friends and build relationships. Um, maybe we specifically apply that to the Christian community. You know, help take care of believers so that when your time of need comes, you'll have those relationships established, and they'll help take help take care of you as well. Um, and uh, Tim Mackey, you referenced the Bible Project earlier. He he kind of does something like like this in that he'll say, you know, this parable is re- revealing in the kingdom the priority of relationships over money, over wealth. And so in the kingdom, um, in, in God's economic system, the real value is in relationships. And so this man is showing prudence in the way that he uh, sacrifices wealth for the sake of securing relationships, which are more valuable. So that's that's a way that people often interpret this, and um, that might be that might be accurate. I'm really hesitant uh, to disagree with something that Tim Mackey says because <laughs> uh, I respect him a lot. Um, but I I'm not sure honestly about this. Uh, I, I have some some issues with that interpretation. But what do you what do you think? Yeah, that's where I'm, I'm. I'm interested to hear your your issues with it because that that is where I would land on it. Because I I I love this idea of looking forward to the future and saying the only thing that's going to save me. Because both in in the manager's sort of self talk when he's going through, well, I can't dig and I'm not going to beg, and so I can't do these things. But what I can do is I can give something to these people. I can do something for these people so that this is verse four, so that the people receive me into their houses. And when Jesus sort of sums everything up, that's one of his points as well, that they will receive you into the eternal dwellings in verse nine. 
And so he's thinking ahead and he's saying, what I can do is I can build relationships with the people who will receive me into their homes. And so he's thinking ahead and using what he has now in the present, knowing that the time is about to run out, knowing that he's about to be called into account. And he uses what he has and the opportunity that he has to build relationships with people so that long-term he has a place to stay. And, and I've, I actually just finished reading um, a book, Misreading Scripture Through Individualist Eyes. I don't know if you've read that one, Luke, but um, I, I love that idea that, that gets talked about a lot about uh, uh, grace, patronage, um, charis, uh, giving uh, grace or blessings or gifts to people. And, and there's really that idea of being a patron and when someone does something for you, it it puts you in in their debt. There's a obligation of gratitude there, and I think that that's what's. I think there's definitely a patron relationship that's going on here. And so this manager is acting as a patron to these people, and they are sort of becoming his clients as opposed to just being his manager's clients. And now they're indebted to him and. And, and that's very difficult for us as modern Westerners to think about because we think about those sort of ties to people and we say there's strings attached to this gift and we look at that as a bad thing. But in, in that culture, those strings being attached to a gift weren't a negative thing at all. They were a positive thing. And they would look at that as saying, you did something gracious for me. And so now I want to be able to to pay you back, or I want, I want to be in your debt. I want us to have a relationship. And so they would look at that as a positive thing. And so I see Jesus not as saying that the, the dishonesty was commendable, but that using the resources and the opportunities that you have, recognizing that the wealth itself, the wealth itself is unrighteous. The wealth itself is is worldly and the wealth itself is going to fail. It's going to run out. There's going to be a time where it's gone and using that now in the present moment in order to build relationships so that you have something for the future. He says, worldly people are really good at this. They're really shrewd. They're really wise and prudent about using what they have to build relationships for the future. And he says, sometimes I think that the, the kingdom, the, the people of the world are, are better at that than the sons of light. And we need to be prudent in using the unrighteous wealth that we have to, he says, make friends for ourselves uh, so that when the unrighteous wealth fails, they will receive us into the eternal dwellings. And I, I may say something later about I think maybe how that might tie into the next parable or the next story about the rich man and Lazarus. But yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I, I fall on this. I'm interested to hear your your pushback to uh, Tim Tim Mackey or because I think I, I would line up pretty close to that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess I want to preface you might you, you and Tim may be correct. Uh, and. <laughs> Uh, I, I certainly want to acknowledge. Like, again, I think this is a challenging, a challenging parable. Some some issues no I doubt. have, um, points of pushback. Um, so, for example, later on, um, I, I guess a question: Are we really supposed to look at um, kind of the self-interested use of money or mammon, uh, you know, to make friends, to, to build relationships, as a good thing? When uh, just a few verses later, and we didn't fully read this, but like verse thirteen. 
when uh, Jesus will place money or mammon in opposition to God. So that's, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a question I have. Um, doesn't it seem a little weird in the story that the master commends his servant for robbing him further? Uh, just in the narrative of the story itself, like, huh, that, that would be an interesting thing for a character to do. Um, then I think about things like connections between the steward who squandered his possessions and the prodigal son, which was just discussed um, in you know the, the previous chapter and I think is connected to this, and the rich man talked about just after this. Um, and then finally, if, if the, this kind of more traditional interpretation that we should uh, use wealth to uh, win friends and influence people, if, if that's kind of correct, why, you know, why would the Pharisees have responded so negatively? They're, they're lovers of money, and it would seem to me that if, in some sense, this was, this was indicating, hey, use your money for your, for your benefit, but maybe just in different ways than you're thinking, I wonder if they would have had such a negative reaction. So having said that, um, I think what's going on here, and this is not this is not original to me, there's a scholar named Stanley Porter, um, and I kind of read his stuff in a secondary sense, but he suggests that Jesus uh, is being ironic in this parable, that that it, at times he's he's speaking in irony. Um, so for example, uh, I, I've mentioned this before, but in context, we've got this unit that seems to involve both chapters 15 and 16, where uh, Jesus is speaking to both disciples and a group of Pharisees um, who are there as well. And, and there's the the uh, the narrator of the, the the of the story, Luke, presumably. He'll he'll insert little comments saying who he's talking to. So, like chapter 15 and verse two. Um, chapter 16 and verse 1, chapter 16 and verse 14. So right before this, in uh, Luke 15, the, the prodigal son story absolutely touches on wealth and stewardship and friendship, or at least relationship. And I would say that the rich man and Lazarus does as well, those same, those same topics. And so um, together, I think they kind of bracket this, uh, this story. Um, so, for example, in the, the prodigal son story, I know it's very well known, but you've got the son who demands his, his inheritance before his father passes. So basically, dad, you know, I wish you were dead. Just give me give me what's coming to me. Um, and then he goes and uh, he wastes that money, which is the same word that's used to describe what the manager has previously done with his master's possessions in chapter 16, and verse 1. Um, but the, the prodigal wastes this on reckless living. He ends up in great need, living in a pigsty. So here's a young man who had used his wealth for self-interest, and it led him to a terrible place, a pigsty. And he returns to his father with nothing, um, and his position is restored not because he had used wealth to secure that position, but by the grace of his father. So that's, that's the first story, and then we have the story in question, and then we have uh, the the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, or I should say the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Some people get really amped up if you call it a parable, and I don't want to sideline us with, with that discussion. Um, but the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, we have another story of a man who uses his wealth for his own self-interest while Lazarus suffers, and then the, the rich man, he too, ends up in a terrible place. 
uh, he ends up suffering torment while the, the fortunes of Lazarus are reversed. And so if we think of these two stories as a bracket for um, the, the story of the shrewd manager, uh, I, I think it helps to illuminate what's going on there. So I would say that we've got this, this steward who's been engaged in bad behavior, wasting his master's resources. When he's confronted about it uh, and he's told he's going to be fired, he, do he doesn't repent of his previous behavior, but instead quickly pursues additional dishonest action in hopes that this will lead him to having friends who will take care of him later. But wait a minute, we just heard a story on this. The, the prodigal son spent all of his wealth, and when his money was gone, there, were no there was no safety net, there was no relationships to be found. He ends up in a pigsty, basically begging, doing the exact sort of thing that the, the, the dishonest manager is trying to avoid doing, right? Um, and so the, you know, the same term wasteful connects both characters. Um, so I guess I would suggest that the story that we've just read should make us think, does it seem likely that the shrewd manager's, the shrewd manager's plan is likely to work, that he's going to spend this money and that he's going to, and that that's going to be a successful way of creating this safety net of relationships in light of what's just happened with the, the prodigal story. Um, and then I would, I, I think that uh, when Jesus talks about the shrewdness of the sons of this world, basically, uh, I think we can say that sons of this world, I mean, th these are people like the prodigal, people like the unjust steward, people like the rich man. Um, should we take this statement at face value? Is it really shrewd? Is it really prudent to use wealth in such a way that it leads to a pigsty or to torment, uh, this self-interested use of wealth. Um, it seems more likely to me that Jesus is almost putting air quotes on this, that he's talking about the so-called wisdom of the world that says, hey, look at these successful people and how they use money. And then he kind of says, and look at how that turns out. It leads you to a pigsty. It leads you to torment. Um, and then I think in, in verse nine, we kind of have the, the climax of the irony. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you unto eternal dwellings. Well, unrighteous wealth can't lead to earthly relationship, as the prodigal learned, or eternal rewards, as the rich man finds out. Um, and then I think he kind of caps all this in verse 13 when he says that uh, we can't serve two masters, God and wealth, that these are in opposition to one another, um, which makes a lot of sense if he's just explained uh, how self-interested use of wealth um, is sometimes beneficial to us. Let me, I think I misstated that. It doesn't make a lot of sense for him to say we can't serve two masters if he's just talked about how, hey, sometimes though, you know, if we use money in our own self-interest, that, that can be a really good thing. Um, but on the other hand, if what he's really been doing is ironically revealing the absolute folly of pursuing wealth as a means of reward and security, that totally makes sense to me as a summary statement. Our lives should not be dominated by self-interested financial pursuit, but by storing up treasure in heaven instead. And it totally makes sense to me why the Pharisees, who are lovers of money, would be greatly offended by that teaching, um, saying, hey, you know, the, the so-called wisdom of the world is 
you know, you have this wealth, use that for your own benefit. But I'm telling you that that leads to, to bad places. Um, so that would kind of be my, my take that Jesus is being somewhat ironic here. And, and admittedly, that's heavily influenced by the surrounding parables. But I think it makes sense uh, of Jesus's summary statements of the broader context of Luke um, and also of the reaction that he gets from his audience. Yeah, I like that. I'd never heard that that take before. No, I really I, I like that. I think that that's a an interesting way to read it. I would say for me, I think that I think you're exactly right. And I think that that even the way you laid that out uh, is really helpful in looking at those three stories back to back to back. Um, and 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 I would I would say that I think that when this manager was living wastefully when he was wasting his possessions, that that was when he was more like in, in the way I read the parable is more like when he was like the prodigal son, uh, when he was when he was living lavishly and he was spending the money on himself. Um, and he and then when you get to the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that's what the rich man is doing. He's living lavishly. He's wasting the money on himself. Where there seems to me to be a, a switch and a turn is that when this manager becomes prudent, when he becomes shrewd, he begins to see that what's best is to give away what's what he has uh, to give it to other people to not store it up for himself but to give it away to other people because what matters is relationships um, and not wasting wasting that opportunity and wasting that 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 weak uh money that will fail him, but to give it away. And, th and that's what's really going to last is the relationships that we build by giving it away. And I would look at that and contrast that with what the rich man didn't do, because the rich man could have done for Lazarus what this shrewd manager did. He could have given away his things to Lazarus. But I, I think the irony there is that he wouldn't have seen that as a beneficial thing to do. And I think that in that right. culture, and I think to your point, and I think this is where these two interpretations would even overlap, is that the people you would give money to are the people that could do you favors. And so you, you would scratch the people's back who could scratch yours. You would give stuff to people who could do something for you, which I think arguably is what this, this man is doing. But I think when you when you look at everything Jesus says, especially as he gets into the rich man and Lazarus, the people to whom we should be giving away our treasure, giving away this unrighteous wealth and, and giving it to other people and sharing it with others are not the people that are are the, the, the rich and powerful people that can do things for us in this life. It's the people that we're giving to others because of the world to come, because of the eternal dwellings. And I think that's the, the interesting thing about Jesus' teaching throughout the gospel accounts is he says to give, give money to the, the poor, give money to the people that are in prison, give, give food and go and visit them. Because on the day of judgment, the master is going to say, the Lord is going to say, you know, whether or not you came and visited me in prison, whether or not you fed me when I was hungry, whether or not you clothed me when I was naked. And, and there's going to be some people who say, well, when did we do that? Or when did we not do that? And Jesus is going to say, when you did it or when you didn't do it for the least of these. And so right. 
I read this parable as Jesus saying, you need to be giving away this unrighteous wealth. You need to be getting rid of it and building relationships. Not, and, and I think I think there is a, a hint of irony here, not just for your own self-interest, because it's not going to be in your self-interest right now, it's, but it will be in your best interest in the long term by building relationships because it's going to be it's going to be people like Lazarus who are in the kingdom and who have eternal dwellings and the people who won't share with people like Lazarus who are hoarding it and wasting it on themselves wasting it on lavish living and not giving it away they're not going to get in they're not going to have a place in the kingdom they're not going to have a, a place in the eternal dwellings because they're they're wasting this wealth on themselves right now. Yeah, and I, I do think <clears throat> I do think there's some overlap there um, for sure. Uh, one of the things I would say is that it would be an offensive message to the Pharisees to say, so yes, use your money but not in a way that is elevating yourselves um, you know, to, to positions of prominence or uh, to the, the acclaim of, of other people. Um, and, and so certainly like in, in chapter 16, for that rich man to have uh, in, invested his money in, in Lazarus, like no, no visible earthly gains from that sort of uh, practice, right? Um, so I do, think, I do think there's some overlap there. And I think ultimately... I think that Jesus's summary statements are clear enough that whether or not, uh, I guess maybe to kind of to summarize, whether or not Jesus is saying, hey, you know, use this unrighteous wealth for the sake of establishing relationships and prioritizing those, uh, which would kind of be uh, your perspective, or whether he's saying, uh, yeah, it sure is wise for you to use your money this way, um, which is kind of what I'm <laughs> saying. Um, right. At the end of that, what he's still saying is like money is not all that it's cracked up to be. Uh, it, it's not money that is going to bring you security and welfare um, that you, it, it's not money that you should plan your future around. And um, unfortunately all too frequently, and, and this is true for Christians as well. We think that we are having our money serve us, but it's actually mastering us. And so whether in here or in Matthew, Jesus wants to be absolutely clear, uh, you, you can't serve two masters. Um, and and, and that's, a, that's a different thing for us because a lot of us live in a, I mean, we live in a society where a lot of people work two jobs and they're like, what are you talking about? I've got two bosses. And, and that's totally not the way that it worked then. Uh, if you're a servant of a master, you didn't get to, you didn't get to have more than one. Um, you had, the, the master had complete ownership of what you did. And... Jesus wants to caution us, I believe, to say, and, and this is where it's really challenging for people like me, because uh, I want to, I want to be a good steward, a good manager of money, but it can be so easy, I think, to cross from that uh, that perspective of stewardship to idolatry, where this thing that we're trying to master, uh, kind of secretly and surreptitiously masters us. And that's the warning that Jesus has. And he has really strong words. Um, really, it's like, I, you, you can't be a follower of God. You can't be a, a, a citizen of my kingdom if mammon is going to be your master instead. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is an unavoidable conclusion from this parable. And and I and I will say as a caution to to reiterate what you're saying and as a caution against someone who might misuse this. I I did hear a well-known popular preacher not too long ago talking about this parable and the way that he said it made me a little bit uneasy even though he was sort of coming down where I'm coming down on the interpretation he he got to the point where he was sort of saying it's okay to build your wealth so long as you're doing good things with it and i think that's the wrong interpretation because again to your point i think we can fool ourselves into thinking that our money is serving us when we're really serving our money we're really being mastered by our treasure by mammon. And I think that that's exactly what Jesus is telling us not to do. I think in in Jesus' context, most people would either be rich or be poor and changing your station in life was not possible. You're, you're probably, if you're a poor person, you're probably going to be poor your entire life. If you're a rich person, you're probably going to be wealthy your entire life. Um, and and this, this admonishment um, is just as relevant in his context, obviously, it's just as relevant in our context as it was uh, for them that if we have money, if we have treasure, um, then we need to we need to give it. We need to share it. We need to be generous with what we have and not to be enslaved by it. But if we don't have it, we need to not spend our life chasing it. And I think that there is this illusion that a lot of people can have that say, well, you know, yeah, a lot of people use money for bad things, but if I had it, I would use it for good things. And we justify our pursuit of treasure. We we justify our pursuit of wealth. And and the New Testament has just as much negative things to say about those who want to be wealthy um, as, as to those who are wealthy and misuse their wealth. Even that desire for wealth, even that chasing after the money, we justify it by saying, oh, yeah, yeah, but I would be different. I would do it differently. I would spend it well. That pursuit and that desire, that's what plunges us into ruin and destruction. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a reason why Jesus calls it the deceitfulness of riches, right? The deceitfulness of wealth when he talks about the parable of the soils. Um, it's, uh, I, I affirm everything that you say. And at the same time, there's a portion at the back of my mind that's like, well, you know, if someone gave me $10 million, I would do some good stuff with that. You know, I mean, it's, it is, it's absolutely deceitful. I mean, that's just, that's, it's the way that it is. And so, um, again, regardless of how we might interpret specific details of this, I think it's really important that in some sense, all of us are uh, unrighteous stewards in the sense that the, the wealth that we have is not ours. It's uh, on loan from God, and he demands an accounting for it. And so by all means, we want to use that uh, that wealth and those possessions in a way that uh, enhances and strengthens God's kingdom and glorifies him um, rather than in a way that would make us be lovers of money. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect place to land. I think that's exactly what uh, what Jesus is saying. Be faithful. Whether you have little or you have much, be faithful with what you have. Well, thanks, Luke. I appreciate it. I enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to our next one. All right. Thank you. Thanks, brother. I really hope you enjoyed this Bible study, and I hope you'll subscribe to hear future episodes of the podcast. 
A big thank you to Travis Pauly, as well as our McDermott Road Church family for helping to make this podcast possible. And a special thanks to all of you for listening. We love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.